Hey guys, welcome to episode 3 of the Mysterious Benedict Society Read Aloud podcast. In the last episode, we met two new characters, Sticky, a know-it-all genius who remembers everything he sees, and Kate, an athlete who has a good way of finding out how things work and finding good ways out of situations. So they were all gym- they were met in a room that they all passed the tests so far, and they were just waiting to go to seven room 7B where they will take the third phase of the test. So let's go to chapter 3. Chapter 3, Squares and Arrows. The room was on the seventh floor, as Rennie had suspected. The door had no sign on it, but after roaming the empty hallways and looking at the other door signs, there was a 7A, a 7C, a 7D, and a 7E. They returned to the unmarked door, which upon Kate knocked boldly. After a pause, she knocked again, still more loudly. This happened several times before they got a response, which, as it happened, came not from beyond the door, but from directly behind them. That's enough with the knocking, said a deep voice quite close. The children whirled around in surprise. Before them stood a tall man in a weather-beaten hat, a weather-beaten jacket, weather-beaten trousers, and a weather-beaten boots. His ruddy cheeks were dark with whisker stubble, while his hair what little peaked from beneath his hat, was yellow as flax. If not for the alertness in his ocean blue eyes, he would resemble more than anything a scarecrow that had come from down at stake. On top of all of this, the man's expression was profoundly sad. All the children noticed this at once. Rennie was so struck by it that instead of saying hello, he asked, Are you all right, sir? I'm afraid not, the man said, but that's neither here nor there. Are you ready to begin the test? But we haven't even met, Kate said, sticking out her hand. My name's Kate Weatherall, though my friends call me... She glanced at the boys, who looked at her doubtfully. Well, my friends call me Kate. The man shook Kate's hand, somewhat reluctantly. Even his handshake seemed sad. He hardly squeezed at all. The boys introduced themselves when the man sadly shook their hands, too. There, he said, we've met now. But you haven't given us your name, Kate insisted. The man sighed, considering this. Call me Milligan, he said at last. Is that your first name or your last name? Just Milligan, and no more questions. We have to proceed. Now, which one of you is George? Kate scowled. She was getting very impatient with this man. Weren't you listening? Our names are Sticky, Rennie, and Kate. Sticky cleared his throat. Oh, well, actually, my name is George. Sticky's my nickname. Your name is George Washington, Kate said. Like the president? The father of our country? It isn't that unusual, Stiggy said defensively. You don't have to tease me about it. Take it easy, pal, said Kate. I wasn't teasing you. Clearly, Stiggy was a bit touchy about his name. Sticky or George, whichever it is, said Milligan. You are to go first. Step through the door now and shut it behind you. Stiggy's eyes grew wide. I have to go in alone? It's all right. It's only a test. The others will be with you soon. Good luck, Sticky, Rennie said, clapping him on the shoulder. I'm sure you'll do fine. Go Sticky, said Kate. Sticky removed his spectacles, polished them, and replaced them. After a moment's consideration, he removed them and began polishing again. There seemed to be a speck on the lens he couldn't remove. Quit stalling, Milligan said. There's nothing going to harm you in that room. At last, Sticky nodded, settled his glasses on his nose, tucked away his polishing cloth, and passed through the door. Milligan closed it behind him and went away without a word. How do you like that? Kate said. He didn't even tell us what to do or how long it would take or anything. Big surprise, said Rennie. Soon Milligan came back and announced that it was Rennie's turn. He gave no hint about what had happened to Sticky. 
See you on the other side, said Kate, wherever that is. Rooney took a deep breath and went in, the door closing behind him. He found himself in an empty room, on the opposite wall. Above another closed door hung a large sign that read, Cross the room without setting a foot on a blue or black square. Rennie looked down. On the cement floor, just inside the door where he now stood, was a large red circle. On the other side of the room, by the opposite door, was another red circle. Between these circles, the floor resembled a giant checkerboard, with alternating rectangles of black, blue, and yellow. Rennie stuttered the pattern. There were far more blue and black than yellow. So much more, in fact, that he really realized that it would be impossible to cross the room without stepping on blue or black. The yellow parts were so widely scattered that he even doubted a kangaroo could hop from one to the other. He looked at the sign again, and after a moment's consideration, he laughed and shook his head. Then he strode confidently across the room, into the other red circle, and out the far door. Sticky and Milligan stood waiting for him beyond the door. They had been watching him secretly through tiny holes in the wall. Sticky looked confused and started to ask Rennie something, but Milligan shushed him. You boys can watch, but you must be quiet, he said. He went away to tell Kate it was her turn. Moments later, they saw Kate step boldly into room 7B. After reading the sign, she studied the floor, considering whether she might manage to leap from yellow to yellow. At last, she shook her head, rejecting the idea. Next, she looked from the one door to the other, gauging the distance. Then, taking the length of rope from her bucket, she fashioned a loop at the end, and with one expert throw, lassoed the doorknob at the other side of the room. Fastening the other end to the doorknob behind her, she pulled the rope tight, knotting it securely, and climbed up. Now, if only I had a paddle, she said aloud to herself as she walked along the rope. I could hold it out in front of me for balance. Indeed, a paddle might have helped, for halfway across the room she nearly fell. The boys caught their breath. But after wobbling back and forth and wheeling her arms around, she recovered. After a few more careful steps, she hopped down into the other red circle. Wow, Sticky whispered, she did it. But before Kate could join the boys, Milligan appeared and took her back to the starting point again. This time without her rope, which he informed her would be returned upon the completion of the test. That's hardly fair, Sticky whispered. Nobody told her she couldn't use a rope. Kate, meanwhile, was removing all the items from her bucket and stuffing them into her pockets. When she'd finished, her pockets were bulging ridiculously. She unscrewed the handle from her bucket and tucked it through her belt. Then she was ready. Kicking the bucket onto its side, she hopped onto it and began rolling it forward with her feet, like a circus bear balancing on a ball. Rolling first this way and then that, she zigzagged across the room to the other red circle. Rennie and Sticky looked at each other in awe. Who was this girl? Yet once again, as Kate reached the bucket handle and emptied her pockets, Milligan entered the room. He returned her to the starting circle, this time taking away her bucket and tools, which she handed over with the evident reluctance. She recovered quickly, however. Before Milligan had even closed the door behind him, Kate shrugged and cracked her knuckles, flattened her palms against the cement, and lifted her feet into the air above her. And this was how she crossed the room, walking on her hands, not setting one foot upon the floor. Never mind, said Milligan when she opened the door. He handed her bucket back. You pass. What I don't understand, Sticky was saying to Rennie as they followed Milligan down a dark stairway, is how you passed that test. I'm glad, of course, but I don't see how you could have done it. I crossed my hands and knees so my feet didn't touch any black or blue squares, and Kate did her acrobatic tricks. But you just walked right across the room. You were stepping on dark squares left and right. They had reached the bottom of the stairs now. Milligan ushered the children to a damp, dimly lit room underground passage, 
where centipedes twisted away at their approach and other slithery creatures they heard, but didn't see retreated into the shadows. By this gloomy route, he was leading them to what he called their final testing place, which struck Rennie as having a particular ominous sound. Just walked right across, said Kate. Rennie, how did you get away with that? It was another trick. Those weren't squares on the floor. They were rectangles. Their sides weren't all the same length. Gosh, that's true, Kate reflected. Stiggy slapped his forehead. I got my pants dirty for nothing. I crawled across the floor like a baby for nothing. I'm so stupid. I can't believe they're letting me go on. You're hardly stupid, Rennie said. You're here, aren't you? Just where is here, anyway? Kate asked. Hey, Milligan, where are we? Without looking back or slowing down, Milligan said, Right now we're passing under 5th Street. I don't suppose we could walk above ground, could we? Sticky said, where there's sunlight and the path isn't wet, where it doesn't smell like spoiled fish. Where creepy things don't keep falling on our heads, Rennie added with a shudder, brushing away a beetle that had tried to skitter under his shirt collar. Sunlight just ahead, Milligan replied, and sure enough presently he led them up another set of stairs into an empty cellar then through the cellar doors onto a quiet street lined with elm trees and old houses. The children couldn't see this right away. It took a moment for their eyes to adjust the, to the brilliant sunlight. And in a moment, Milligan disappeared. They had followed him out through the cellar doors. They knew that for certain. But whereas Milligan had been tall and straight in his battered hat and scuffed jacket, the children were now accompanied by a stooped little man with a big belly, wearing dark glasses and a bright yellow cap. Who are you? Kate cried, crouching into a defensive stance. Where's Milligan? Right here, the man said wearily, lowering his sunglasses to reveal a pair of sad ocean blue eyes. I'm in disguise. The children regarded him closely. It was indeed Milligan. Somehow, without their noticing, he had stuffed his hat and his jacket under his shirt to create the impression of a fat belly, had produced the cap and sunglasses from where they couldn't guess, and hunched his shoulders and bent forward to appear shorter than he was. It was a remarkable transformation. Are you a magician? Sticky asked. I'm nobody, Milligram replied. And without further explanation, he pointed across the street to a three-story house with stone steps leading up to its front doors. Please go wait on those steps. Rhonda will be with you soon. Rhonda Kanzambe? Rennie said, the green-haired girl. But even as he spoke, the cellar door slammed shut and Milligram was gone. Do you suppose we're going to meet anybody normal today? Kate asked. I'm beginning to doubt it, Rennie said. The children went across the street and through the gate of the house Milligan had pointed out. It was a very old house with gray stone walls, high arch windows, and a roof with red shingles that glowed like embers in the afternoon sun. Roses grew along the iron fence, and near the house towered a gigantic elm tree, perhaps older than the building itself. Its green leaves tinged with the first yellows of autumn. Shaded by the elm's branches were an ivory-colored courtyard and some stone steps upon which they were to wait. The steps themselves were covered half with ivy. They seemed inviting place to rest, and indeed it was with some relief that the children, tired from today's challenges, sat upon them now in the cool shade of the elm. Sticky, Rennie said when they had settled, there's something I wanted to ask you about your parents. Did they know that? We already talked about this, remember? Sticky said, interrupting him. Turning to Kate, he explained. That yellow lady gave Rennie and me run around when we told her we had some phone calls to make. Rennie was afraid his tuner would be worried, and it was the same with me and my parents. Turned out, when she called them, but she was very odd about it, very odd indeed. Did that happen to you? This was not what Rennie had been going to ask about. He wanted had to ask if Sticky's parents knew he'd spent half the night looking for the monk building. For some reason, Sticky was avoiding the subject. 
I didn't have anybody to call, said Kate with a shrug. My mother died when I was a baby, and my father ran away and left me when I was two. Stiggy's face fell. Oh, I'm... I'm so sorry. Don't worry, Kate said lightly. I don't even remember them, she paused, reflecting. Actually, I do have one memory, my father. That's one more than I have, said Rennie. What is it? Well, down the road from our house was an old mill pond, and my father took me there once to swim. I was only two, but a good swimmer. The water was cold, the day was warm. I thought it was all felt wonderful. I laughed and splashed until I was exhausted. Then my father, I can't picture his face, but I can still feel his strong arms lifting me out of the water. He carried me on his shoulders back to our house. I remembered asking if we could swim there again, and he said, Of course we can, Katie Cat. I remember that very well. He called me Katie Cat. You never went back to that mill pond, did you? asked Sticky, looking even more regretful now than he heard Kate's story. No, the next thing I remember I was in an orphanage, said Kate. Rennie shook his head. It's strange, Kate. Your father sounds... Well, he sounds... Like a nice man, finished Kate. I know, I've often thought of that. I guess it shows that people aren't always what they seem, or else he just changed. I suppose I'll never know. It's terrible, Stiggy whispered, almost as if to himself. Hey, it's okay, Kate said cheerfully. That was a long time ago. Anyway, I've had a fine life. The circus has been good to me. Rennie widened his eyes and glanced at Sticky, but Sticky seemed too disturbed to have noticed what Kate said. Rennie looked back at Kate. Did you just say the circus has been good to you? Oh, yes, said Kate with a laugh. When I was seven, I ran away from the orphanage to join the circus. They brought me back, but I just ran away again. And I kept running away every time they brought me back. Eventually, it was agreed that I could join the circus and save everybody a lot of trouble. So that's what I've been doing for the past few years. It's been great fun, too, but I was ready for something different. Where I read about these tests. I said audios to my circus pals, and here I came. That's quite a life, Rennie said, more than a little amazed. And has it... I mean, has your circus life helped you then? You haven't ever missed your parents? He was always curious about how other orphans felt. His own parents were never known to him, so he didn't miss them in particular. But on rainy days or days when other children taunted him, or nights when he awoke from a bad dream and could use a hug and perhaps a story to lull him back to sleep. At times like these, he didn't miss his parents exactly, but he did wish for them. Kate apparently felt otherwise. What's to miss? She said breezily. Like I said, I don't even remember my mother. And who wants a father who'll run away and leave his baby daughter all by herself? I'd rather spend time with elephants and clowns. She frowned. Sticky, what's wrong with you? Throughout their conversation, Sticky's expression had grown more and more dejected. His big eyes sadder and sadder, so that at last his face had taken on the exact gloomy look of that miserable man Milligan. Rennie put his hand on Sticky's shoulder. Hey, are you all right? Oh, yes, Sticky said unconvincingly. I was just, you know, feeling sorry for Kate. It must be terrible to think you weren't wanted. Kate laughed, a bit stiffly, it seemed to Rennie, and said, Weren't you listening, chum? I told you I'm having a ball. She went on to regale them about the stories of the circus life, hanging from trapezes, leaping through flaming hoops, getting shot from cannons, until gradually Sticky cheered up, and the matters of parents were dropped. They had been waiting on the steps for perhaps an hour, and they were beginning to groan about how hungry they were when the front door opened and Rhonda Kanzabe appeared. At least they thought it was Rhonda Kanzabe. She didn't have the same features and coal black skin, and she was the same height. She did have the same features and coal black skin, and she was the same height as Rhonda, but her, but gone were her puffy white dress and long green hair. Instead, her hair hung in lovely dark braids all about her face, and she wore a smart blue jumper and sandals. When she saw them on the steps, she laughed with pleasure. Hi, kids, remember me? 
Rhonda, is that really you? Stiggy asked. I hope so, she replied. Otherwise, someone's played a very clever trick on me. When Rhonda sat down with them and Rennie had a closer look at her, he realized something that he'd missed before. You're not even a child, he exclaimed. You're a grown-up. Well, said Rhonda, a very small, very young grown-up, yes. I knew you were hiding something with that funny get-up, but I thought it had to do with cheating. No, said Rhonda, laughing again. It was just to call attention away from my age and to distract you in general. I have an idea, said Kate, whose stomach was growling loudly. Why don't you give us some food and tell us what this is all about? Soon, Kate, very soon. There remains one more test, but after that, whether you pass or fail, I promise you all a good supper. Fair enough? It's a deal, Kate said. Then let's begin. When I tell you to, each of you must go through this front door. At the very back of the house is a staircase. When you reach the staircase as quickly as possible, hurry up the stairs and ring the bronze bell that hangs at the top. Speed is important, so don't dawdle. Any questions? Will this test be harder than the last one, Kate asked with a show of bravado. Some find it quite difficult, said Rhonda, but you should be able to do it with your eyes closed. Will it be scary, Sticky asked, almost in a whisper. Maybe, but it isn't really dangerous, Rhonda said, which did nothing for Sticky's confidence. Who goes first, Brittany asked. That's an easy one, Rhonda answered. You. It had been a day full of challenges, all of which Rennie had met successfully, but when he stepped through the front door, he was brimming with confidence. By this point, he knew there would be some kind of trick involved, and knowing this, he felt sure he'd be ready for it. He found himself in a brightly lit room with pitch-black walls. The front door, which Rhonda had closed behind him, had no knob on the inside, and was likewise painted black, so that it blended in with the wall. The room rather cramped, perhaps six feet wide and six feet long. Kate would know for sure, he thought. It was entirely empty. Not counting for the nearly invisible front door behind him, it had three exits. To the left, to the right, and immediately before him. These doors had no doors on them, and the room beyond them were unlit, so that Rennie couldn't see into them. Are we expected to walk into dark rooms, he wondered. This is going to make Sticky un- extremely unhappy. But he was only thinking of Sticky to take his mind off himself, for the prospect of groping around the darkness intimidated him more than he cared to admit. Well, he said aloud to bolster his courage, there's no time to waste, so here goes. He plunged to the doorway ahead of him. This ought to be the most direct path to the rear of the house. And as if by magic, he seemed to walk into the very room he had just left. It was cramped, brightly lit, painted black, and he could see a dark doorway in each hall, in each wall. What in the world, he said, turning to look behind him, then in confusion, turning around again. At once he realized his mistake. If he hadn't turned around, he might have kept his bearings, but now he'd lost them. He was in a maze of identical rooms. Everything looked exactly the same in every direction. His confidence was quickly draining away. Now think, he told himself, when you enter a room... Its light must turn on automatically. When you leave, it goes off. But there are light switches by each door. Perhaps if you throw a switch, the light stays on. It might be as simple as that. With a quick inspection in the nearest doorway, however, this hope vanished. What Rennie had supposed were light switches were only decorative wood panels. He was about to turn away and try to retrace his steps when it occurred to him the panels themselves might be important. He took a closer look at one. About the size of a playing card, the panel had four arrows etched into it, pointing in different directions and painted different colors. The blue, a blue arrow pointed to the right, a green one to the left, a wiggly-shaped yellow one straight ahead, and a red one down. Of course, Rennie thought, feeling foolish, the arrows weren't for decoration. They were meant to show the way. 
but which was he to believe? After going round to every panel, he was no better off. Four doorways with four arrows, meant, each meant sixteen arrows to choose from. And there were no apparent pattern. Rennie racked his brain. Should he follow the green ones? Green arrows on a traffic signal meant go. But perhaps this was too obvious. Perhaps the red arrows were the ones to follow. Perhaps that was the trick. Yet, that seemed hard seemingly fair. What if he'd been colorblind and couldn't tell the difference? No sooner had this occurred to him than he knew the secret. Running his finger over the carved arrows in the panel before him, Rennie smiled. The only one you could touch would be the wiggly-shaped one. What was it that Ron had said to Kate? You should all be do- able to do it with your eyes closed. It had seemed she was offering encouragement. Actually, she was offering them a clue. Even in the dark, even with his eyes closed, Rennie could feel the panels with his fingers and find the wiggly-shaped arrow. Just to be certain, he heard around the room checking the panels. Sure enough, though the... Though the other arrows followed no particular pattern, the wiggly arrows all directed him toward the same door. The one whose wiggly arrow pointed straight ahead. Rennie took a deep breath, hoped for the best, and charged through. The next room looked exactly the same, but this time the wiggly arrows indicated the door on his right. He took it. By the time he had gone through ten rooms in this way, Rennie had no idea where in this house he was. He might have been at the front door again and would not have known it, or he might have been in the very middle of the maze. And with the walls painted black as they were... If all the lights went out, he would be in utter darkness. Suddenly he wondered if they intended to turn the lights out on him as part of the test. The thought started an uncomfortable flutter in his belly. But just as he began to worry, he entered a room with a stumbled smack into a staircase. With a shout of triumph, he raced up the stairs onto a narrow landing, found the bronze bell Rhonda had told them about, and rang it. There was a sound of quick footsteps coming down the stairs. Then a door unlocked, and out came a pencil woman with a stopwatch in her hand. She examined it and said, Six minutes, fourteen seconds. Is that good? Rennie asked. Without answering, she said, Please close your eyes and stand still. Something about this made Rennie uneasy. He had done so badly. Had he done so badly? Was this meant to test his courage? He did as he was told, closing his eyes and bracing himself as best he could. Why are you flinching? The pencil woman asked. I don't know. I thought maybe you're going to slap me. Don't be ridiculous. I could slap you perfectly well with your eyes open. I'm only going to blindfold you. Having done so, she led Rennie down the stairs again. With her hand on his shoulder, the pencil woman guided him back through the maze into the first room. Where she removed the blindfold, staring at the stopwatch, she said, Please go ring the bell again. This time it was easy. Rennie trotted through the room, glancing at the panels for guidance, and in a few short minutes, he had rung the bell again. The pencil woman came up from behind and rang her stopwatch. Three minutes even, she said. She led him up more stairs into his sitting room and pointed him toward a sofa. Does this mean I pass? We ask you to complete the maze a second time to see if you've actually solved it. We need to make sure you didn't just come upon the staircase by luck. If you discover the secret, you would be much faster the second time around, which you were. Therefore, you seem to have solved the maze. Therefore, you pass. Therefore, interrupting herself, she took a cracker from her pocket and ate it very quickly, as if she hadn't eaten in days and couldn't wait another moment. Rennie cocked his head curiously. But why did you have me go through again when you could have just asked me? I could have told you the secret, you know. You'd be surprised how few children have pointed that out, said the pencil woman as she moved to the door. You mean you wonder whether I'd notice that? The pencil woman winked. And now we know, don't we? She hurried from the room, leaving Rennie alone on the sofa. He was getting used to her abrupt entrances and exits. Still, it was strange to find himself in an unknown house, sitting on the sofa by himself. He looked around the room. The walls were lined with books, many of them in languages he didn't recognize. In one corner stood an old piano. In another, a marvelous green globe. Rennie went to look at the globe. 
If the others took as long as he did to finish the maze, it could be some time before he had company. He might as well entertain himself. But hardly had he given the scope a single spin, he hadn't even located Stonetown Harbor on it yet, when he heard the bell clang outside in the stairway landing. It rang and rang very loudly, with no sign of stopping, and from this he gathered it was Kate at the bell. Sure enough, within a few moments the ringing had ceased, and the pencil woman led Kate into the sitting room to join him. Kate was grinning ear to ear. The pencil woman had her hand to her forehead, as if perhaps all the bell ringing had given her a headache. She doesn't have to go through a second time, when he asked, surprised. No point, said the pencil woman, and left them there alone. What do you mean, a second time? Kate asked. I had to finish it twice to prove I've solved it. But you got through so fast, I suppose it wouldn't be, it would be hard to do it any faster. Not as long as I have my bucket with me, Kate agreed. After turning this over in his mind a few times, Rennie gave up and said, Okay, what did your bucket have to do with getting through the maze? Well, of course I saw right away that I was in a maze, and I knew that I had to get to the opposite side of the house, so I looked around for a heating vent. A heating vent? Sure, and there in the floor of the very first room I saw one. So I got out my Swiss Army knife screwdriver and removed the grate and squeezed down to the heating duct. It was a tight fit, I'll tell you. I had to tie my bucket to my foot and pull it along behind me. Those old ducks run all over the house, but the central duct runs more or less in a straight line to the back. So with my flashlight in one hand and my army knife in the other, I just followed it all the way here. Followed it all the way there, pried up the vent, and popped out by the staircase. I sort of had to bend the grate on the last one. I think maybe old yellow suit's mad about that. I bet she'll forgive you. Don't you think? It's not like it's that hard to fix. Only a little one-by-one grate. Hey, this is an impressive globe. For a while, the two of them entertained themselves finding places on the globe. But eventually they had enough of it, and Sticky Washington had yet to appear. Kate went over to the piano and tried to play it. The keys made no sound. Together, they lifted the lid and looked inside. The piano strings to get... The piano strings had been removed, and in their place were more books. These people certainly have a lot of reading to do, Kate observed. Oh, well, no great loss. I only know chopsticks anyways. Almost twenty minutes had passed, and there was still no sign of Sticky. Kate began to sort through items of her bucket, making sure each one was in its proper place. She found an arrangement that kept her things secure and within easy reach, and she was very particular about it. She was the sort of person who liked to be constantly busy. Rennie realized she hadn't much use for idleness, which reminded him of something he wanted to ask her. You know, Kate, something's been nagging me. You told us you carry all these things around in your bucket because they're useful, right? Absolutely, Kate replied. Then why a kaleidoscope? It's interesting to look through, maybe, but how is it useful? Kate stopped double-checking the things in her bucket and gave Rennie a searching look. At last, she nodded. You know, I think I can trust you. I can already tell. All right, here's the secret. She took out her kaleidoscope and popped it out its, off its colorful chromatic lens. Only then did Rennie see that the chromatic lens had been concealing a different lens beneath. The kaleidoscope is a spyglass in disguise, Kate explained. It's a good spyglass, and I wouldn't want anyone to steal it. The kaleidoscope, on the other hand, is rather a bad kaleidoscope. I don't think anyone would tempt to steal it. The very idea of disguising good spyglass as a bad kaleidoscope made Rennie laugh with pleasure. It's terrific, he cried. Kate wasn't sure what Rennie was laughing about, but she was extremely agreeable, and before long she was laughing with him. When Rennie had taken a good look at the spyglass, Kate tucked it away again and flopped onto the sofa. Do you think Sticky's ever going to finish? I'm having a good time and all, but I'm about to drop dead from hunger. In an answer to her question, the bell rang, only once and almost imperceptibly. 
as if Sticky had just tapped it with his fingernails. Through the closed door, they heard the pencil woman speaking in her brisk goose way. This, an embarrassed murmur, and must have been Sticky's response. After a moment, all was silent again. Again, they waited. Shouldn't be long now, Rennie said. It's easy once you figure out the secret. It only took me three minutes the second time through. Three minutes soon passed, however. Then four, then five. Not until almost fifteen minutes had gone by did the bell ring again, just as softly as before. A moment later, the door opened and Sticky entered the room with the pencil woman behind him. He gave a great smile when he saw Rennie and Kate. Not so much because he finished the taste test, but because he was relieved to have company again. Congratulations, said the pencil woman. You all pass. The children cheered and clapped each other on the backs, and when they were done cheering and clapping, they realized the pencil woman had left them yet again. She's awfully fond of leaving, isn't she? asked Kate. I never saw anybody who left so much. I suppose she'll expect us to wait again. Maybe Rhonda's coming for us, Rennie said. I hope so. Otherwise, I'm going to have to eat some of these books. Sticky, what on earth took you so long? Didn't you know how hungry I was? Sticky seemed about to cry. He was reaching for his spectacles when he saw Kate was only teasing him. Then he smiled and shrugged. I had to go through twice. So did Rennie, but he said there's some kind of secret that gets you through faster. So why did it take you so long a second time? It was a little faster, Sticky protested. Now what's the secret talking about? The secret to getting through the maze, Rennie said. You know, the arrows. Arrows? You mean the one on those panels? Rennie gave Kate a look of amazement, but Kate replied, Don't look at me. I don't know anything about arrows. Remember, I took a shortcut. That's true, he said. Sticky, if you didn't use the arrows, how'd you get through? Sticky shuffled his feet and said, I just kept trying one door after the other until finally I found the staircase. It was sheer luck. And you found it more quickly the second time? That's the really lucky part, I guess. Oh, no, that part was easy, Sticky said. I just remembered how I got through the first time. First I took a right, then a left, then straight ahead, then right, then right again, then left, then left again, then right, then straight ahead, and so on until I came to the staircase. I didn't have to waste time scratching my head all over those panels or worrying they were going to turn the lights off or any of that other stuff. I just hurried through exactly as I did before. Exactly as you, Kate began, then just shook her head. That's incredible. Rennie laughed. Here did it the hard way, Sticky. What's the easy way? Follow the wiggly arrows. Oh, Sticky said thoughtfully, that would have been useful to know.